Guys, if you brought a Bible, this would be a good time to get it. Um, We're, um, of course, in the midst of Holy Week. Uh, I wouldn't dream of continuing the study of Hebrews while we're um, celebrating this week. So we'll interrupt that. We'll get back to it after uh, Easter. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 45. uh, 45. I'll uh, conclude at the end of verse 53. Um, hear now that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God is black words on a white page. It reads like this. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemai sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him. But the others said, wait, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, I I want you to know that I do realize that today is Palm Sunday. I'm not um, uninformed, but I have self-consciously chosen to use Palm Sunday to point us to Good Friday. Of course, both events are are enormous in terms of their uh, redemptive significance, but um, what happened on Palm Sunday does not compare to what happened on um, Good Friday. And next week, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the resurrection. But guys, um, the, the death of Jesus Christ um, was predictably, uh, appropriately accompanied with several things that you might consider to be rather odd for instance, did you, did you read there in verses 52 and 53, I think, um, um, about the, the graves opening and um, the bodies uh, coming out and appearing in Jerusalem? Of course, Matthew got a little bit ahead of himself. That was after the resurrection that that happened. But uh, did you know that was in your Bible? Did you know that that was one of the um, accompanying events of the death of Christ? But then, of course, more well-known, I think, 
is that thick darkness that lasted from about noon to 3 p.m. And, of course, there was an earthquake. It, it is as if nature uh, mourned what was taking place on Golgotha. But all three of those things, ladies and gentlemen, were, um, were very public in nature. Everybody n- knew about those things, or at least felt them. And yet, I would suggest to you that, in my mind, those things were peanuts compared to the death of Jesus Christ. Those things were just the opening act uh, of, the, of the main event. Uh, that being, of course, what was being accomplished just outside of town on a hill called Golgotha, where this troublemaker, whose name was Jesus of Nazareth, was finally being crucified. The fact that God in flesh died, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the miracle of all miracles. Do, do you remember that story, um, <laughs> the story in Exodus uh, 7? Uh, it was right, begin, right when um, uh, Moses and Aaron began their battle with Pharaoh and saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And... Um, Aaron threw down his staff and it became a serpent. Remember that? <clears throat> and so, pardon me, um, Pharaoh called his magicians. They came in and they threw down their stabs and they became serpents too. And then, of course, the way that story ends is that Aaron's staff swallowed up all those other staffs slash serpents. My, my point is simply this. All of those other miracles that you read about in the New Testament, they're swallowed up in the miracle of all miracles. The fact that the, um, that the Son of Man, God in flesh, would die. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the miracle of all miracles. And yet, there is one other event that I have not yet alluded to. Uh, one, another event surrounding his death that I would suggest to you is, is, not, is not really introductory in any way. It's not like those other three in that it's the opening act of the main event. I'm saying that this other one that we're about to take a look at, it, it is part and parcel of, of the whole event of Christ's death. Um, it, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a preparation for his death. It is a part of that death. It is in every way at the heart and at the center of what Jesus Christ is accomplishing in his death. And, and the event to which I refer, of course, is the tearing of the veil I think the, the text calls it a curtain, yes, uh, in verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Guys, uh, you, you do know what curtain that I'm talking about, or what, what, what Matthew is talking about, don't, don't you? Um, that curtain was... Um, 
was first mentioned back in Exodus chapter 26. Um, to, to explain what that curtain is, I, I needed both hands. <laughs> um, guys, um, some of this terminology may not be uh, familiar to you, so let me try to explain it. Uh, the tabernacle, um, which was simply the impermanent, portable version of the temple, while Israel was, uh, you know, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they had what they called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It ultimately, when, he, when they finally settled down to Jerusalem, was built in the same architectural style in the temple by Solomon. So the temple is just the, the permanent version of the tabernacle. All right? But, but, but both of those buildings were arranged architecturally the same. But let me, let me tell you about what else is included. Guys, um, around the tabernacle slash temple, there was this temple compound, several acres. And, and on the furthest reaches of the compound was what's called the, the, the court of the Gentiles. That is, the Gentiles could come out there, but they could come out here. And then as you came closer in, uh, closer to the, to the tabernacle or a temple, there was the court of the women. The women could come, you know, up here, but they couldn't come any closer. And, and, and then as you got closer, uh, it was the, 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 the court of the men, the Jewish men, which all brought us to the, to the building itself, the temple. That temple consisted, basically, of two rooms. Two rooms is all. Very simple building. Two rooms. The, the, the first room and the larger room was called the holy place. And inside the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. There was the Ark of the Covenant. No, no, no. There was the, uh, the table of showbread. There was the altar of incense. And then there was the golden lampstand. Those were the three pieces of furniture in the holy place. <clears throat> now the other room, uh, there's only two, the other room was called the holiest of holies. And back there was only one piece of furniture. And that of course was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, separating those two rooms was a curtain 60 feet high it was said to be the thickness of a man's hand I mean, that is it, it certainly was no sheet that was hanging up there but separating those two rooms in the in the temple was a curtain this curtain uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, that curtain, the curtain that's being referred to here is that 60 foot high, width of a man's hand, curtain that separated the two rooms of the temple, the holy place and the holiest of the holy place. Um <clears throat> Now, that, that holiest holy place 
once a year, the high priest went back there. The Ark of the Covenant's back there, and inside the Ark of the Covenant's Ten Commandments, and once a year, on the Day of Atonement, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest kind of moved aside that big old veil, the curtain, and he goes back into the holiest of holies bringing a sacrifice for sin because that room, you see, represented the presence of God. But that curtain... That, 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 that curtain, that curtain acted as a giant keep out sign. Stay away. Don't go back there. Trespassers will be persecuted, prosecuted. Stop. Don't go back there. Gang, that veil was an ascent, that curtain was an essential part of a religious system. Much unlike the table of showbread or the altar of incense, those were important, but they weren't at the heart of the matter. This curtain was not simply a piece of home decor. It wasn't a decoration. It was an essential part of the overall religious system known as Judaism, and that veil said things. And everybody in Israel knew what it said. Now, now of course, the most important piece of furniture in all of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. But second only to that was this curtain and it was a curtain that was a, was a message. That curtain said loudly and clearly, Don't you go back there! Stay out! Keep out! It, it was a separation between sinful man and a holy God. It, 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 it formed a barrier between a sinful man and God's presence. It hung there for millennia. And it always said the same thing. Stop! Don't go back there. Do you remember... In the, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve had sinned and God kicked them out of the garden, he put a, a, an angel at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword so that they couldn't get back in. This curtain, this curtain is much like that. It, it, it hung there from four pillars and it said to all of Israel, Stop. Don't go in.
Now that's the curtain that is being alluded to in verse 51 of chapter 27. Now, Jesus dies. And um, when he died, we're told by this text that that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. It wasn't a small little tear. No, no, it was ripped from top to bottom. It wasn't some kind of little small hole that maybe some rodent had eaten. No, no, no. It was ripped from top to bottom. And it was ripped. It, it, it wasn't taken down and folded up nicely and stored away so that it could be brought back at some future date. It was torn. Not accidentally. And it was torn by no human hands. And when exactly was it torn? It was torn at the time of the evening sacrifice, which was somewhere around dusk, around 3 o'clock, which means that there were priests in the holy place performing their assigned duties. You know, the priests were were broken up into 12 teams, and they each took a month. And so that's where Zacharias was when the angel came and announced the birth of John the Baptist. He was in that holy place, and they were doing their little functions, their little ritualistic functions, their little ceremony things. And while they were doing those duties... Knowing, knowing exactly what was happening on the outskirts of town, knowing that finally this Nazarene troublemaker was finally getting his comeuppance and he was being taken care of finally, and while they're busily at work doing their little ritualistic things, some kind of invisible hand Tears that curtain from top to bottom. There was this giant ripping sound. That was done not by some irreverent mob. God tore it. And you know, I've I've been a Christian... 46 years and I have wondered on numerous occasions what would I have thought had I been one of those priests working in the holy place when all of a sudden the veil the essential part of my whole religion is ripped from top to bottom. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, 
that ripping, that ripping, it says something too. And, and, and what, what is it that that ripping says? Well, it, it, you know, where do we begin? I mean, I guess the first thing that it says is Judaism is over. <clears throat> all of this, all of this rituals and types and shadows, it's over. There will never again be a need for a day of atonement. The day of atonement is over. Everything that has made Judaism, Judaism has been fulfilled. All of this ritual sacrifice has now been made obsolete. Everything of which I have staked my hope in as a child, it's over. It's all been ripped to shreds. I'll tell you another thing it says. It says that 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 giant keep out sign now says, come in. The barrier, the barrier has been removed. And that that curtain that stood there for centuries and said to all of Israel, now all of a sudden says, won't you come in? It says that intimate, uninterruptible communion with God is now available. That there is a direct access that God has opened up a new way to himself. That that God has provided a, a better way into his presence. All of those stop signs have been removed. That whole religious economy of sacrifices and blood and rituals and types and shadows, it's over. The spirit of the old law, the Old Testament Judaism, Judaistic law, that said to all of its adherents, you keep your distance. has now been changed to say, won't you come in? Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the barrier, the very thing that kept me at a distance has been dealt with. And, 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 and what would that be? What is it? that did separate me from God. My sin. The wall that was erected between God and me. Had been torn down. 
by the death of Jesus Christ. My sin that has shut me out That sin has now been paid for and the barrier has been removed. And now the path between a sinful man and a holy God It's wide open. When did that happen? It happened at about 3 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. When the Savior said, It is finished. All of the demands of the law have been met. And if you had been a Jew who just happened to be on the outside of the temple that day, cleaning up the grounds or doing whatever it was that you were doing at about 3 p.m. on that Friday you would have heard a giant ripping sound because now there's a new path to God but there's still only one. God is to be approached and can be approached, but he can be approached in only one way. The the, the Old Testament law could not provide access to God. The way to God is now laid open. Yes. But it's laid open only by Christ's death. Any and all may come, but only on that one path. And my friends, that one open path granting you direct access to God will do you not one bit of good unless you get on it and follow it straight to a cross. Jesus even invites you. He says, Come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Guys, I got one more thing I want to show you, and then I'm done. And if you still have access to your Bibles, I'd love for you to see this. It's in Acts chapter 6. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's the fifth book in the Bible. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. This is, this is absolutely delightful. One verse, Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of his disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the, look at it, priests became obedient to the faith. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how do you think that happened? The text doesn't tell us, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing but I would bet you my paycheck that the reason that so many of those priests came to faith in Christ is because there was a handful of their number in the holy place on that day when that curtain was ripped from top to bottom and they looked at each other and said, look, look at this. We now have an access to God, to Yahweh. No more of the rituals and the shadows and the types and the blood of the lambs. We can go. And they left there and they talked to their other priest friends. And as a result of hearing of the ripping of that curtain from top to bottom, priests, could no longer deny that Jesus that we crucified. He is our Messiah. And the gospel spread like wildfire among There's a new path, ladies and gentlemen. There's only one. And it won't do you one bit of good unless you get on it and follow it straight to Christ. Are you on it? Our Father, I, I do pray that you will illumine all of us. Might we see with eyes that we've not been able to see before the beauty of the gospel, a message that simply points us again and again and again to the finished work of Jesus Christ for sinners. 
Father, would you cause us to be done with our self-salvation projects, trying to save ourselves by our so-called goodness? There is none. There is no so-called goodness. There is one good, and that is the thrice holy God. Now, Father, draw men to the beauty of the Savior. Do that for Jesus' sake. Amen.